Hello, I'm Daniel. This is my podcast, Sharpening the Mind. I am a meditation teacher and also a labor activist in Kansas City, Missouri. I teach classes in meditation and Buddhism at the Rime Buddhist Center, as well as a few other places. Thank you for listening and have a great day. Hey guys, I recorded this podcast with my soon-to-be wife, Alicia. I am actually scheduling this to drop exactly one month before our wedding, so that's exciting. And we set out to talk about uh, the second koan from the Gateless Barrier, the Wild Fox koan, and we did talk about that, but we also went pretty far away from that in our conversation. I actually thought about splitting this into two episodes because we went so far. And so we talked about not only that story about a fox ghost, but also we talked about can you use meditation to be a better criminal and is chanting worth doing and is there a Buddhism for everyone? And it was a really good conversation. And she disagreed with me a few times, which is always very good for a dialogue. So... That's it. I just wanted to give this really brief introduction. Um, Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Daniel. I am here again with my partner, Alicia, and we are going to talk about another koan from the Gateless Barrier Collection. We recorded a conversation before where we talked about the first koan, uh, which was the the dog, the one I call the dog koan. And now we're going to talk about the second one. And I don't know if we will continue to go through the Gateless Barrier Collection in order and go through all of them. I don't know if we're going to do that or not. But we're going to talk about the second one. Will you say hello to everyone, Alicia? Hey. Thank you. So what we're going to do is the same thing we did on the last one. I'm going to read the koan, and I'm going to ask Alicia for her interpretation of it, specifically why she thinks it's worth talking about and remembering. That's what we're trying to get to in this, in these episodes, why this koan in particular has stood the test of time and people still think they're learning a lot from it today. That's, that's the question that we're going to address. So... And this one, um, unlike the first one we went over, the dog koan was like two lines. It was very, very short. And this one is longer and more complicated, and there's more going on. So we, we will see how that goes. But between these two, these two koans are very different, even though this one's called the fox koan, and that one was called the dog koan. They're still very different. And this one involves some elements that I would call um, magical or uh, supernatural. And I just want to preface this and say, I don't think these are or need to be taken literally. I don't think these are or need to be taken literally. So with that being said, Alicia, are you ready to proceed? I think so. Okay. This koan is called Baijang Baijang and the Fox. Um, and Baijang is his Chinese name. 
And in the Japanese ver- version, his name's Hyakajo. Hyakajo. And it's one of the few. Most of the time, these names, like, the Japanese version's just a little bit different from the Chinese version. But this one, you know, it's a, it's quite a bit different. But So if you ever hear the story of Hyakajo and the fox, just you just know, oh, it's the same guy. This didn't happen two times. Okay? So, by Jang and the fox. <clears throat> Whenever Bai Jang gave a Dharma talk, a certain old man would come to listen. He usually left after the talk, but one day he remained after the students dispersed. And Bai Jang asked, Who are you? And the old man said, I'm not actually a human being. I lived and taught on this mountain many years ago. One day, a student asked me this question. Does a person who practices with great devotion still fall into cause and effect? And I was his teacher, so I answered him, no, a person doesn't. And because I said this, I was cursed. I was reborn as a wild fox for 500 lifetimes. Master, please say a word for me that will free me from this wild fox body. And then he asked Bai Jang the same question. Does a person who practices with great devotion still fall into cause and effect? And Bai Jang said, do not ignore cause and effect. Immediately, the man had a great realization. He bowed and he said, I am now liberated. My body is buried behind the monastery. Will you go? dig it up, and do funeral services. And Bai Jang gathered the monks, and they went and they dug up the back of the field, and they found a fox body, and he gave it a full monk's funeral. And then cremated the body, which was customary in those days. So, that is the koan, Alicia. So, the the fundamental part, if we just take it down to the fundamental part, it is... This guy, who I guess he's a ghost, he says, I've been cursed to be reborn as a wild fox because I said a person of great devotion does not fall into cause and effect. And he asks Bai Jang to say something to correct his mistake, which we're, we're just saying that's a mistake. And Bai Jang said, don't ignore cause and effect. What do you think the point of this is? I'll talk uh, really briefly. Uh, Fox in Chinese culture is kind of like a trickster being. So it's kind of, um, if we think of like, like a leprechaun, like something that's going to try to trick you. That is what the fox is. So he said this answer to this monk and he was cursed to become a trickster animal. I can't get past thinking first how this guy presented and he presented as human, but he was not a human. But yet I know you personally don't believe in ghosts. So to me, that is a confusing basis to start the story on. And it distracts me from what, I'm supposed to be learning, I guess. But just in general, 
Um, don't forget you're a human and your, your actions have reactions, equal and opposite reactions. Mm -hmm. sort of. So I think of, okay, so first of all, my, my, my thought is that this guy is being reborn as a fox and he doesn't die and get reborn as another fox instantly, but rather for some period of time, he's a ghost. And because he's a ghost, he looks like himself instead of like a fox. I don't, I don't know though. It is sort of weird. Why didn't a talking fox show up and talk to Baijang? I don't know the answer to that. But that's that's my understanding of the story. So you think that there is a time between lifetimes where people could I, be sort of misplaced? I I do not know. Or or is Baijang like because Baijang is really wise, he can see his true form. Something like that. I, I, don't I know, know these are just stories, but I get really like I those things matter to me. Like if I hear a story, I want it all to make sense. And it's and it's like it's like somebody telling me a fairy tale and saying, OK, now what are you supposed to learn? Which I guess. I mean. Little Red Riding Hood. Mm -hmm. um, but. This is, to me, this is something serious that people study. So, yeah. It. It's hard for me to get past those mm -hmm. technicalities to see what the point of it is. Um, and I guess I'll find out what you think it is if it's, you know, something other than just don't think that you're better than anybody else or that he, your actions were, are still going to have, you're not immune from anything. So my view of what's going on here is this. Some people come to Buddhism or, or really anything that's designed to improve your life. Some people come to it and they think, Okay, well, I'm going to do this for this length of time, and then I'll be good. I'll be done. Right? So some people think that if they get the right amount of Buddhist practice, then they are not going to have any struggles anymore. And in the same, in the same way, some people think if they get the right amount of therapy, they're not going to struggle anymore. Right? And, and even... Some people kind of have this expectation that because we're Buddhists, we're calm and even-minded and we don't carry a lot of shit. Maybe, maybe not a lot of people have that view, view of us, but if they do, that's, that's mistaken. We are struggling just like everybody else is struggling, right? But I think, so I think what the, the man who would die and become a fox, um, I think he was trying to say that, no, if, you're, if you practice enough and you're devoted enough, nothing's going to bother you anymore. Nothing's going to bother you anymore. That was so, his thought of it before he got turned into a fox. Before he got turned into a fox, right. And Bai Jang's answer wasn't exactly, yes, you still fall into cause and effect. He said, don't ignore cause and effect. And so, right, he's just saying that this is not going to change. 
there is not an amount of Buddhist practice where one day you will be able to stub your toe and not say, God damn it. There's not an amount of Buddhist practice where one day you're not going to worry or be anxious anymore. We are all still human beings. So we still suffer through the vagaries of life, even though we are practicing and we are getting better and we're trying to get better. And that's so the story. So the magical thing that happens in the story is the teacher gives bad, bad information to the student and he's cursed. And the truth is that he's in this trap of thinking sort of, if I'm, if I'm practicing, I should be able to handle this or that. I should be okay. And I shouldn't be sad and I shouldn't be frustrated. I should just be fine. And if I'm not, then I'm not practicing enough. But I think there is no point where like a switch gets flipped in our minds and we don't struggle anymore. I don't think there's a point like that. And I, I sort of think if someone tells you that you'll get to a place where you don't struggle anymore, that person's probably being dishonest. I think it's more of a, more of a progression. But even, yes, Alicia. So I have a problem with something that you've said. Okay. Um, you said we're probably not ever going to get to the point where we stub our toe and don't curse. I want to challenge that as saying there's never going to be a point that we're going to stub our toe and not feel pain because the reaction is the curse word. And that is what it, it is that we're changing. Is that right? Okay. Okay. Yes. Yes. My, you're right. My example was incorrect. What I should have said was we're never going to stub our toe and not care that we stubbed our toe. I would say not feel pain. Okay. I, I feel like what we're working towards with meditation and Buddhism is to accept the things that come to us. And yes, it might hurt, but we, we're going to have an understanding that it will go away soon. And sometimes we just get hurt. And so in that breath, almost you don't care as long. So I think it's less about, I think it's less about emotional feelings than, or outcries than it is about physical because the physical is going to be the same. That's biology. Okay. Okay. Maybe the toe's a bad example. Um, let's talk about, I think you're never gonna, okay. As parents, I think we will never be at a point where it's not annoying when our kids talk back and argue with us. Right. We might, we might manage our tendency to yell at them a little better or our tendency to come up with a better strategy to get them to listen, but it will never not annoy us which is the same as pain with the toe. It will never not hurt. Right. But it's how you deal with that. Right. Um, how you react to that physiological sensation. Right. So not being annoyed at all, that would be perfection. That would be the best thing is if we could just manage what's happening and not 
have it get to us at all, but still do what needs to be done to correct the situation. That would be perfect. And expecting perfection is not fair. Expecting those feelings to not come up is not fair. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think after your explanation, I understand what you're, what you're getting at with, you know, what I do know already. Um, I'm sorry. Did you have more to say? Not, no. Yes. Sorry. No, um, you go ahead, please. <laughs> you're here for a reason. But <clears throat> um, I, I think it, right. Like there are things that we can work on and have a more satisfying result in such as having more patience for the kids and not reacting in a way that shows the annoyance. And I think the more we do that, the less annoyed we will actually feel. Um, I've heard of studies where like, if you smile, if you make yourself smile for no reason, it's it secretly yeah. improves your mood. Yeah. yeah. Sort of a fake it till you make it thing. That's I think, thing. I think that's true. But I, so I don't, I wonder if maybe the koan is speaking more generally, as in you're a human, there are always going to be things that you have to figure out. You have to, there's always going to be new things. It's, you're not ever going to be at a situation where you have perfected every reaction and you're just calm and because life is ever changing and humans are ever changing. It's not possible to have that. But I do think it is possible to focus on a certain reaction, such as being annoyed whenever the kids are how they are, um, that I could focus on that really intensely and meditate with that in my mind. And I think that that would improve, but I would have to work on it. Um, and I think if I'm more focused on a specific thing, the better it'll get. But that does not change the fact that next door, a dog family could move in and start barking. And I would have to deal with that, which was a brand new irritation. And I wouldn't have the calm centered. It's fine. No, I would deal with that. So it, I'm not exempt from from new new things for my body and my mind to deal with. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. I think, and I wonder if people come to meditation practice or come to Buddhism and they expect immediate results and they don't get immediate results and then they quit. I don't, I don't know if that's a thing that happens or not because I think people usually quit because they're bored and they want to quit doing it. But um, I wonder if people expect to get perfect quickly and they don't. And I don't know, but we need to manage our expectations. Really, this is good advice in life in general, but we need to manage our expectations of this meditation thing we're doing because... There's no quick fixes. There's no quick fixes, right. We're gonna, things are gonna get better for us. 
some things more than others and some things slower than others. And that's just the way it is. And there's not a point where we're done. And I think that also... We don't have to be done. We don't have to be done, right? We're not... I like to say we're not doing this practice... We're not really doing this practice to get anywhere. We're doing this practice because that's what Buddhas do. Um, and I think of also... People have big expectations of Buddhist teachers. And people get let down by Buddhist teachers a lot when they realize, oh, that teacher's human. So in, in that sense, I think we need to be careful as well. But I don't think that's what this koan is about. This koan is about what we expect from ourselves. What we expect from ourselves. And the truth is that there's always going to be shit that gets to us. Even when we know this, even when we know this thing shouldn't bother me, it's, there's still going to be things that bother us. And sometimes we'll even know and we'll think, this is stupid. Why is this bothering me? But it'll still bother us. That's going to happen in life. Even when we're really aware that we're being ridiculous, we're still going to, we're still going to be ridiculous at times. You can't really talk yourself out of emotions. I can't a lot of times I have to. And I think that's sort of like the curse of being aware of yourself is that being aware simply doesn't correct it. So, go ahead, go on. And I am caught in this place where I feel like I know myself and my reactions well enough to know why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling, why I'm reacting the way I'm reacting, but I can't control the reaction still because it is, I feel like it's a reaction from my heart and my head is logically saying this doesn't make sense, but it's, I can't connect those two things. I do think some people quit meditation practice because they get uncomfortable with the awareness they're getting because it's a harder to lie to yourself, basically. It's harder to do that when you have a diligent and repeated meditation practice. You come to a point where you are like, I'm being ridiculous right now. Why can't I stop this? But yeah, the truth is you can't. You just know you're being ridiculous. But I think that another layer to this, though, is there are other times where the crazed reaction doesn't happen at all and you just don't notice it because it didn't happen. I think that is another thing that happens and it's a win that you don't realize is happening because nothing happens instead of a crazy reaction. Do you think that's possible? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so to me that just having that awareness, just that, that voice in your head that says, I'm being ridiculous. Why can I stop this? Um, is a sign that it's working because you are becoming more aware and being more aware have to believe being more aware is a good thing. Paying more attention is a good thing. That's what it, this all teaches us, right? That's what meditation does for, or does for me anyway, mm -hmm. is that it, it makes me more aware of my thoughts and my feelings and the sources and even helps me like work through it a little bit. Um, I could be upset at a situation, but not really be able to 
pinpoint why and eventually through the meditation i'm like oh my god like this is something that i would never have thought about but it rings so true that it feels it feels helpful in the awareness i think sometimes we have what i call like autopilot and that is I suddenly have a really negative thought and I don't really realize what my mind was doing, but my mind went from one thing to another thing, to another thing, to another thing and got to this negative thought that is now ruining my day. And when I'm more aware then I know, at least I know how I got there. At least I know how I got there. And our thoughts are like that. And when you have a meditation practice, we, when we first start to meditate, we realize, whoa, my mind's doing a lot of stuff and I'm just not reflective. So I just don't know what my mind is doing. And so that that's the power in meditation practice, in training and attention, is just knowing some of our thought patterns because we don't know them unless we decide to investigate them. Unless we decide to investigate them. And that takes a lot of courage, it does. Especially if you start off not liking what you see. Oh, yeah. Um, You've got to have a, a real strong diligence and desire to want to understand yourself to keep going. Because sometimes I don't think there's anybody who doesn't have things that would scare them about themselves. And they're, they just don't realize it. Right. That's why, um, that's why we say this path requires not only great determination, but also great faith. And I'm reluctant to use that word because people think that means different things. But in, to me, it means I have, I have faith that this is making me a better person. I believe in myself and I believe this is taking me somewhere that will really unleash more of my potential and make me a better person and make my little corner of the world a better place. And if I don't believe that, then it's really going to be hard to stay motivated in doing this because that is true. You sometimes do come up on things in your practice, come up on thing, understanding things about yourself that maybe are not pleasant. And that is, I really do believe this path calls to us to stop lying to ourselves, really stop lying to ourselves about everything, but most of all, stop lying to ourselves about ourselves. And when I'm, doing something with the worst possible intentions, I know I'm doing that. Say that again. If I'm doing something with bad intentions, I know I'm doing that. Doing what? Having bad intentions. That is, I can't fool myself oh, okay. into thinking, well, well, maybe this thing I'm doing is not that bad. I can't fool myself in that way anymore. Or I can, but I know what I'm doing. I know I'm lying to myself. So you're doing it intentionally, which is a whole different thing. If somebody does think something and they're not aware of what they're doing, is that just as bad or better than somebody who does the exact same thing with the awareness and intention? Oh, I don't, I don't know. Behind it. I think it's better because that means they didn't have impure intentions 
is it better if you don't have awareness that what you're doing is wrong? Is that morally and ethically better? And I, I want to frame that in a ne more negative way Great. and see if you agree to this. <laughs> is ignorance an excuse? What about as an adult, if you break a rule that you didn't know was a rule, are you responsible? You, you, I mean, you are, right? Mm -hmm. You are, but like as an adult, say it's a traffic rule. It is your responsibility to understand the rules of the road. That's true. This one time I drove in the lane of the highway right by the shoulder and a policeman was issuing a ticket to someone there. And I drove right by him and he pulled me over because I didn't know, but there was a law that you have to move over. And I didn't know that. I've never done that again, but I got pulled over and I had to pay that ticket even though I didn't know. Right. Right. So that's what that makes me think of. Um, and as far as employers and employees go, it in part, it is the employer's responsibility to inform the employee of those rules. Um, not everybody is going to ask questions and make sure they're doing everything right but it is the employer's responsibility to provide them with information either personally or something to consult mm -hmm. about rules. So as a responsible adult, there's things that are expected of you. Now, if if this were somebody who came from a completely different culture, completely different country, and somehow got their license, which they you can't get your license without knowing things, and they got pulled over for something like that, I wonder if the police would be any more lenient. Hmm. Because I think... I think sometimes that can happen. Like they can have a feeling like, oh, okay, this person is really trying and whatever. And they can say it's a warning. So in that situation, like, yes, they're an adult, but their circumstances may be different. So I hate saying it's based on each circumstance, but I think that's what I believe. It's not a hard, hard and fast rule. Okay. So let me ask you this. Say, let's compare two things. Say a Buddhist teacher, I don't want to get complicated. So say a Buddhist teacher steals from the community and uses that money for selfish reasons. Is that the same as a business owner doing it? Is it a little bit worse or a lot worse? I think it's the same. Okay. And does that go, that goes for any, if it's. Do you think it's worse? Because it's morally. I think that in general, we have a higher expectation of spiritual 
of people who base their lives around spiritual teachings, we have a higher expectation, especially if someone's like a full-time spiritual teacher, yeah. not a part-time one like me, but a full-time one. I think then we have a higher expectation. And so the question is, should we? Well, it's may, maybe, maybe, um, because if somebody is, it is their job to teach essentially morals, they should have a higher uh, standard placed upon them. Um, so some people, um, even if they're in the spiritual community, they see it as a business mm -hmm. and it is just a business to them. And they're not holding themselves accountable to the same things that they teach. Right. So it is often misconstrued that everybody in a spiritual community is also spiritual, but that's not the case for some people. Right. Um, but I do think that if like you're, teaching yeah i mean if you're teaching it i can see how because people are looking to you for guidance on how to act mm -hmm. so therefore if you act in a way that is unlawful that's not good for the spiritual center or whatever so right so uh say a buddhist teacher making big moral mistakes would be this maybe the similar to uh, say an IRS employee cheating on their taxes or a firefighter starting fires. Although I think I've heard it said that in, in here in the West, in Buddhism, we sometimes don't focus enough on the ethical teachings and we focus too much on meditation teachings. And in the East, they do the opposite of that. That's what I've heard. I don't know that that's true. I haven't fact checked that, but that's what I've heard is that they do the opposite there. We just focus on the meditation really hard. Yeah, it's it's like a thing now. It's like a... It's frustrating a little bit to me. Mm -hmm. And now there are... There are spiritual communities that people call mindfulness, and it um, seems like they're trying to do Buddhism without the Buddhism. Like, they're trying to just do the meditation practice. And none of the ethical teachings or less of the ethical teachings. And people might be mad at me for saying that, but um, a focus on just the meditation practice. And I think that something's lost there. Interesting. So I am, I am one who believes that you can take part of a teaching and discard the rest. Um, I am one that, uh, I was gonna kind of bring it back to this, but earlier when you were talking about how, um, in Buddhism or meditation, you don't just learn one thing and then you're good. Well, I think a lot of people do. I think they find a little something that helps them and then they're good. 
and they're on their way. Um, and I think that's okay because it's still good. It's still good for that person. It's still good for, for humans if they benefit somehow. I don't think everybody should be required to learn everything there is to know about it. I am not inclined to be interested in all of the literature and the, the things that, that we're learning about today. Um, I'm more interested in the spiritual philosophical side of Buddhism. Um, and yes, there can be teachings in it, but for me, there's more benefit in mindfulness and awareness than there is on learning stories and names because I don't think they have to go together. And I don't think something is necessarily lost if there's one and not the other, if it helps you and it benefits you. Great. So I think I dif we differ in that opinion. I, okay. Do you think that compassion and ethical behavior need to be talked about? Sure. As an aspect of this path? Buddhist path? Yeah. But I think, okay, so I think Buddhism is a bunch of things, mindfulness and meditation included. Mm-hmm. But I think that there's also a thing where there's mindfulness and meditation that's separate that doesn't involve anything else. And I think that's okay because I think that's beneficial. In that, you still find awareness. You still are able to tap into who you are and you're still able to, I feel like, make better decisions and treat people better. I wonder, yeah, I I tend to think that if you're trying to be more aware and attentive, compassion is going to come. Unless you try hard not to become a better person, I think it's going to come. Right. So I think, but I, I like, I think people that are learning meditation because they want to be better at uh, crime or sinister business practices, maybe they, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, can you use but, it for the wrong reasons? Right. I wonder if you can use it for the wrong reasons and then the compassion doesn't develop. And that's the thing I don't know the answer to. Oh, we should try. But. <laughs> Sorry. So. No, I think, I think if I had a crime centered mind and I meditated, I would convince myself, oh, I shouldn't do that because that's going to hurt somebody. I think that's what's going to happen. I don't think criminals go to mind go to meditation in order to improve their crimes. I don't, unless maybe somebody tries to learn how to break into somebody's house and not hurt them at all. But you know, still that's, that's hurting them, but not like, you know, you know what I mean? Okay. Let's just turn that a little <laughs> bit because I don't think criminals are learning mindfulness, but I do think, military snipers are so so they can retain their calm demeanor when they're shooting someone 
right? Mm -hmm. And sure, sometimes that's a bad guy. Other times it's not. Mm -hmm. And but the job is the job, and they got it. They have to do their job. Well, so that's an individual choice whether they feel comfortable in that position or not. But my question for you is, do you think their meditation practice will automatically lead them to a place where they slowly become less comfortable with shooting people? If they keep doing it, maybe. But maybe if they did it enough to have like the getting the practice of not having an emotional reaction down and then stopped. I mean, I think that's all that they would need. But if they kept doing it for personal reasons, I do mm -hmm. think that person would eventually not want to. <laughs> well, do I that. think, I think, well, I think of them learning calm, but I'm also thinking of them learning how to not be distracted mm -hmm. as well. So it's calm and also focus, which are very important things. But that's, that's, this is an interesting thing to think about is But people can see that is, as just a job, you know, they can see that and not apply it personally. Like the tomb of the unknown soldier, that soldier is not distracted by anybody in the audience. They do the exact same thing over and over and over and over again. Like they're <laughs> a robot, but they could connect that to just the job. This is how I have to be on the job and be a completely different person. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm, I'm sympathetic to your idea that we need this and not that. I'm sympathetic to that because, as you know, a lot of Buddhists love chanting and bowing, and those things don't do anything for me. So in that sense, right, I'm, I'm putting down those aspects of the path. I'm putting those down and saying those don't do anything for me. If I'm chanting, it's kind of fake because it doesn't do anything for me. But I wonder. I just wonder about that ethical dimension because. I wonder is if someone who's practicing this and not learning about the virtue training in virtue, if they're not learning that. I'm sort of thinking they're more prone to making mistakes. And I don't know if that's true or not, but I'm sort of prone to thinking that way. Mistakes for what? For the Buddhist practice or for the meditation? For practice? ethical mistakes in their lives. Maybe. Just that. Go ahead. Maybe meditation isn't for making, for, for making ethical choices in life. Maybe that practice is not for that. And the practice that you are teaching is maybe that practice is just to feel more calm and to help yourself. And the practice you're teaching is to help yourself and help others. Hmm. So um, I don't think it's a, I don't think either one is bad, but I don't, I also think that each one, can be individual and be as they are and nothing is lacking. Okay. I sort of think some of the ethical teachings are a 
fake it till you make it situation. And that is, you know, I'm not deceiving others because, because I'm following the precepts to not deceive others. But ultimately, if I practice for long enough, I'm not going to want to deceive others anymore. Yeah. Right. So I sort of think it may be a sort of fake it till you make it situation, sort of like, I'm going to get a lot of practice in not lying before I don't want to lie anymore. And I think there's so many different levels and ways to practice Buddhism that I think it, it coincides with the variety of people in the world, as with all religions, really, because mm -hmm. you're not one to connect with music um, or chance as much. But I remember that drawing me into the place where I needed to be spiritually. And that's okay. Um, and it's okay for it to be important to some and not to others. It doesn't mean that it's invaluable, period. It just means it doesn't work for me and it works for you or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think with that, it, it could be, it could be the same with meditation and mindfulness, wherever you're wanting to work on yourself, they're both things to work on yourself with. You can't deny that. Um, and so I think people who connect with stories a lot um, are people who are similar to you. They, cause you like using those, you like using the examples and then applying mm -hmm. it to life and blah, blah, blah. But it may not work for any, for somebody else. And that's okay. It doesn't mean that they're not learning the same thing. We don't know because everybody is different. Um, you, could sit and chant and be like, this is stupid. And I am doing the same thing and I'm feeling really light and in tune spiritually. And um, it's weird how we can experience the same thing, but because we're different people, it means different things to us. I have another comment to make. So um, I find it hard to judge because of that, because I really don't know where people come from. I don't know their situation. I don't know their internal anything. So it's it's hard for me to say anything is lacking anywhere. On, on another note, um, I want to make this comment about chanting. And this may sound judgmental. So I'm going to preface this and say this may sound judgmental. But when we go to Kirtan, there's chanting. And when we go to Buddhist temples, they're chanting. And in... In the Kirtan, it seems like the people are really engaged and really into it. And in the Buddhist temples, I feel like they're chanting because they're supposed to. And they're not into it. And it's just kind of robotic. And that's an aspect of it for me. They're very different, though. I, I know they're very different, but I want... I want to pe hear people chant because they want to chant. But if you, okay, so if you're taught a certain chant in a certain way, 
that repetition is going to put you in the place where you want to be. Um, Kirtan is so different because it it's sing-songy. It's like, and people love music and they love dancing. And so that's just like a different kind of spiritual experience. Almost outwardly, like it's joyful. It's, it brings out the emotions, at least in me. And, um, and so I like that for that reason, but I can see the value in chanting or, um, saying the same things over and over and over again because it although it's not like the same freeing kind of awareness that kirtan brings me it brings me back into like almost a meditative state because it's something that i i've done repetitively and so at least at a place where We've gone where there's been a lot of chanting and then it's it's gone right into um, a time of meditation. It it like mentally got me ready to be in that in into that meditation state because I was used to that. And and for a while, it was really hard for me to sit down and meditate and not do something because it prepared my body physiologically for it. So. In that instance, I would want to chant for a very different reason than I'd want to go to Kirtan. Okay. Like a repetition. Okay. It's like it's like Pavlov's so dogs. In the same way, right. People are like, I bow six times before I sit on my cushion or whatever. Right. And once you've done that. So that I like that. That makes sense. Um, can you speak on what you think the difference is between a short chant? or a short recitation that you know versus a, you know, a paragraph long one where you have to read it because it's in a foreign language and you don't know it. Um, are those the same or different to you? Because that to me, the one that I most don't, don't like is the one where it's a long thing in a foreign language and I'm reading it. Can you speak on that? Yeah. So there's an aspect to Buddhism that I don't relate with very well, but it's um, it's like talking to the gods, talking to past beings and wanting um, protection and peace. And I don't connect with that, but I think there are people who do. That if they recite a certain thing, it's bringing good karma or it's bringing peace or it is bringing whatever it is that that specific thing is bringing. Mm -hmm. So to a lot of people, it's like they have to make sure, I guess I'm just imagining because this is not me, but I'm, I'm imagining that they have to recite almost like OCD. Like they have to recite every single thing or they don't feel like their meditation or their spiritual time is complete because they want to make sure and, and do all the right things. And that makes them feel like they have done the best for others and themselves. Um, for me personally, there's not a difference. It's for me personally, the repeating of 
whatever it is, whether it's in English or another language, has has only been um, beneficial to me to get me in the space in order to feel relaxed and concentrated to be in a meditative state. I feel more focused. I feel um, less fidgety. Somehow it gets all that stuff out doing that stuff first. But like I said, there's other parts of Buddhism and spirituality that, um, that I don't feel like is for me, at least for right now, that I think a lot of other people really relate to. And that's, that's why there's so many different things. What do you think? Yeah, I think you're right. I think there is. I My sense is there is a Buddhism for everyone. That if everyone on this planet wanted to be Buddhist, they could find a version that they, they're very comfortable with. I think that's very true. Do you think that's wrong? Do you think there's a right? kind of Buddhism and a wrong? I do not. Okay. I 100% think there's a right one for me, but no, I don't think it's wrong. I don't even think, I don't even, and some people think that the Soka Gakkai Buddhists who just chant and they don't meditate at all. Some people think that they're wrong and I don't think they're wrong because I don't think anybody's wrong. Chanting is a kind of meditation though. It, it is. It's repetitive. It, it is, but some people really do not like Soka Gakkai um, for that reason, because they they do this chant and they talk about how the chant's going to bring them wealth or something. I don't, I don't understand it very well, but I think that it's fine. I think all the forms of Buddhism are fine, and I think that whoever you are, you can probably find what you're looking for if you want to look in Buddhism for what you're looking for. Okay, well, I think we're finished here. So <laughs> the lesson of the koan is don't be so hard on yourself because you're not going to be perfect. And that's something we need to know. You're not going to be perfect. Nobody's perfect. And there's never a point where, oh, I'm done. I've made it. I'm done. And if we fool ourselves into thinking that we have to be perfect, then we're going to be unhappy, I think. Do you have anything more to say? It's an expectation. It is an expectation. And expectations get us into trouble. Yeah. Expectations get us into trouble. So thank you for taking the time to listen to me and my lovely partner, Alicia. I hope this has been helpful to you. Goodbye. Have a good day. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.